You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And welcome to episode 364 of the Earth Station DCU. Tonight we're going to talk Danger Street number 12, Superman Lost number 9, World's Finest Teen Titans number 6, Batman and Robin number 4, Green Lantern number 6, Action Comics 1060, Detective Comics 1079, Titans Beast World number 2, Titans Beast World Tour Gotham number 1, and Sweet Tooth Season 2 Episode 3, Chicken or Egg. But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. All right, Cletus, first up for DC news, James Gunn has confirmed that The Witcher star Anya Salatra will be playing Wonder Woman villain Cersei in the upcoming Creature Commandos animated series. I don't have a lot to say about the casting news, Drew, but one thing that's interesting to keep in mind with these casting is that it matters a little bit more. I would say, I don't know if matters is the right word, but it's a little bit more relevant because the idea with these animated projects is that they could potentially bleed over into live action. And hypothetically, at least according to the roadmap, right, <laughs> this actress could be playing her in live action as well. So this could theoretically be a live action Cersei at some point. If all of this comes to fruition, Drew, which we always kind of have to give that qualifier, that could be really interesting to see. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of the first time we've seen this kind of thing where they're casting characters in an animated series for voiceover to possibly be playing the live-action version, too. So kind of curious about the behind-the-scenes, how they pick people. Because you'd want somebody to not only portray the voice very well, but be able to act on screen as well, too. Very interesting. And that's basically all I have for DC News this week, Cletus. <laughs> Not much more is happening with DC right now. All right, well, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll do Comics Talk. The Epsilon 3 is a dream-given forum. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart all alone in the night. The year is 2262. The place, Babylon 5. The podcast, The Epsilon 3. On the ESO Network. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. And we're back. But before we get into this week's comic books talk, we gotta let you know there's gonna be spoilers. We got spoilers, 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 spoilers. We got spoilers, spoilers for you. We got spoilers, 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 spoilers. We've got spoilers, spoilers for you, for you. All right, let's talk Danger Street number 12. At the end of last issue, the diamond sword transformed back into a diamond arm. The arm makes its way to the door of the plane and exits. The same magic that transformed the sword also transformed the outsiders back to their normal human forms. Back in Lady Cop's kitchen, Warlord, Creeper, and Good Looks have all been returned to life. Back on the plane, Abdul reveals he's turned state's evidence after the Commodore tried to kill him. The feds have seized all the green team's assets and are coming for the Commodore, 
for fraud and many other charges. Back at Lady Cop's house, Metamorpho's diamond arm returns and reattaches itself to his body. Orion convinces Lady Cop that Good Looks has the soul of Atlas and must hold up the sky. The Dingbats decide to go with him so he is not alone. When the Dingbats have gone, Lady Cop arrests Warlord, Starman, the Creeper, Orion, and Metamorpho. Lady Cop drives the Helmet of Fate into the desert and demands answers from it. Lady Cop gets frustrated when the Helmet remains silent. One of the old gods shows up and takes the Helmet of Fate. He claims to be the Lord of Chaos. He tells Lady Cop if the Helmet were to speak, he would begin once upon a time in a far-off kingdom. Later, the kids that used to be the Outsiders are driving a dune buggy down Danger Street. Lady Cop gives them a ticket for driving without a license or a registered vehicle. The Helmet of Fate states that the moral of this tale is this. Where there are gods, there are princesses. And where there are princesses, there are stories. And where there are stories, there are noble people who occasionally live happily ever after. Drew, I was shocked at how happy of an ending this was. I, I genuinely was not expecting that. I didn't think it was going to be a dour ending by any means, but, I mean, there are some consequences, right? Like the Danger Street gang has to, you know, go with good looks and, and hold up the world forever, I guess. But, I mean, they still get to be together, right? I mean, so it's a, not perfect, but ultimately mostly happy for them. And then... All of the characters that died get brought back. All of the outsiders get cured. The Commodore gets taken down legally. I think, Drew, I think the only two got main characters that we had in this that stayed dead are the, the Manhunter and his adversary. I can't remember what his, that character was. Yeah, I can't think of his name either off the top of my head. <laughs> but you're right. I, I was very surprised by the happy ending also. And... and the point, he, he, Tom Keeming even points it out at the end with the Helmet of Fate saying that people occasionally live happily ever after. <laughs> I, I wonder if he wrote this just to prove that, yes, I can write a happily ever after comic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this whole series has been interesting with all these D-list characters in here. And I'm kind of curious if Tom King had read some of these comics when he was younger, decided he wanted to do a story with them. If not when he was younger, at some point in his like research for other books and stuff, he had to have right. This was Drew. I, I mean, we've talked at length. I've really, I've really enjoyed this series. I, I liked the ending quite a bit. It was not what I expected, but I enjoyed the happy ending. I'm not gonna lie, it was a very pleasant surprise. I thought everything wrapped up well. I mean. Again, you could make the same... I could see some people being dissatisfied in the same way with um, the Killing Time comic that he did, where both ultimately are sort of stories for the sake of a story, right? But ultimately, I, I don't personally have a problem with that, Drew, because that's sort of the point of comics, is to tell a good story, and that's what we got here. And I just love how everything kind of tied in together to wrap up at the end, and you get this, like... Pretty, I would say, what, 90-plus percent happy ending? Getting there probably the ugliest way possible. <laughs> probably the least happy way to get to the ending, but but a, but a happy ending, ultimately. And I, I, I was satisfied. I was, too. I enjoyed this series. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Superman Lost, number nine. Lois Lane confronts Senator McMonagall about the million dollars in cash. His assistant parked in the wrong space. Assistants don't have assigned spaces. 69 should have been 96. The senator was accused of taking bribe money, but reveals that his assistant, Terry, was falsely accused of taking the money. In reality, the money had been stolen by the assistant of another senator, but McGonagall chose to resign if it meant protecting his assistant, Terry. Lex disguises himself and gets a coffee from Jitters. He calls Lois Lane and leaves a voicemail. He tells her, well played. She was the flaw in his plan by not telling Superman about her cancer. Superman confronts Lois about the phone calls from Lex and her pills. Superman is angry that Lois lied to him. Superman states that he is going to take care of Lex once and for all. Lois stops Superman and tells him to fix the damn toaster. Lex wants to destroy them. You want to fight for something? Fight for us. Lois goes to Lex's house and demands the cure for her cancer. It was a hoax. Lex bombarded her with gamma rays. 
He has been carrying the cure in his pocket, keeping it handy for dramatic flair. It's what villains do. Defeated, Lex hands over the cure. Superman visits his therapist. His therapist calls Superman out on his fantasies of wanting to kill Luther. The therapist tells Clark, it's normal to think this way about someone you hate. Clark tells him he doesn't hate Lex, but the therapist doesn't buy it. Superman wants to kill Luther, but he won't. That's not who he is. Bruce Wayne shows up at Lois and Clark's apartment, stating there has been a development. Superman picks up a familiar language and looks out the window. Bruce mutters that she must have traced his transporter signal. Outside Superman's window is the Green Lantern Hope, and she is pregnant. I didn't really care for the resolution to the Luther plot, Drew. I, I mean, I'm conflicted because it is a great Superman way to beat Luther, or, or really Lois to beat Luther, in that like not giving him what he wants, not giving him the fight that he wants, and sort of almost passive-aggressively defeating him. I like the idea of that, Drew, but it just, I don't know. I, I don't know if in a miniseries, I don't know if we lingered with the threat of Lois's death enough for it to, you know what I mean? Like, for us in real time, it lingered a bit because we're reading it as it's coming out, and so it was a few months. But if you're reading this back-to-back, Lois isn't sick for that long. No, and the other thing I wanted to point out was it being a hoax, it felt more like a cop-out than a true ramification. You know what I mean? Yes. It was resolved too easily. It would have been a lot more effective if Lois did have cancer and then ended up passing. Or something, right? Something else other than... Because ultimately, we don't get a confrontation with Lex, which is fine. Again, I I see the argument for not giving him the confrontation, and that was a big part of what that issue was about, was Lex desperately, on some level, wanting it. Almost... it felt like, Drew, the comic was suggesting that Lex wanted to die on on some level, and that was kind of interesting. So I'm not going to criticize the lack of confrontation with Lex, but like you said, it does end up feeling a little like a cop-out because next issue is the last issue, and it feels a little bit like they got to the end of the book and they were like, crap, I don't know how to wrap all this up, so we'll hand-wave away the cancer plot and then resolve the other plot instead. The other thing I thought it was confusing in this issue was... I didn't get that all those, that all those uh, killings of Lex was Clark daydreaming about it. When I was reading it, I thought it was Lex who was thinking, oh, Superman's going to get me this time. And, he, and I thought it was Lex. How the way they portrayed it, it kept seeing him like it was Lex that was having these daydreams about Superman finally coming and trying to get him. I'm not convinced that it's not just Superman, Drew. I really... I... I agree with you. It's confusing, especially by the end when with the therapist suggesting that it's Superman thinking about them. I don't know, because you've got the opera music that's playing through it that strongly suggests that it's Lex also imagining it. Again, I, it almost felt like he was trying... What, what's frustrating to me, Drew, is it felt like Priest had something really interesting to say about the relationship between Superman and Lex, and, I don't know, either couldn't find the words or thought it was more interesting to, to leave it unsaid and used to use the artwork, but it felt like there was something really interesting that he wanted to say, and I felt it was portrayed as both were picturing this. And I think I would have liked Priest to be a little bit more forthright with what he was trying to get at, because I, I, I would have been interested to hear it. Yeah, same here. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, World's Finest Teen Titans number 6. Star City, a villain named Seismic, has stolen life-saving medical tech from Queen Industries. Seismic has a message for Haywire and the Terror Titans. He calls them a bunch of punks and dares them to come get him. The Terror Titans appear. Haywire orders Artemis to attack Seismic. Artemis fires an arrow and Seismic goes down like a rubber doll. Kid Flash appears and attacks the Terror Titans. The rest of the Teen Titans join in on the fight. Haywire tries to get away, but Robin takes him one-on-one. Haywire states that they beat them once, and they can beat them again. Robin replies that the last time they beat themselves, but they will never lose again to them. The Terror Titans are a mob, while the Teen Titans are a team. Robin filmed their fight with a drone with 4.7 million people watching the live feed. Later in Atlantis, Garth gives Donna a tour of his home and takes her to his happy place. It is a reef where it is tranquil and quiet. They decide to just be friends. 
Washington, D.C. Mal takes Karen on a second date. Karen notes that even though Mal states he doesn't want to be a superhero, he hasn't given the Guardian suit back. The Batcave. Robin tells Batman he unmasked in front of the Teen Titans to earn their trust. Instead of firing Robin, he grounds him for a month. Batman adds nice work on leading a team. Titans Lair. Five weeks later, the Teen Titans welcome Robin back with a party. The end. And I was very surprised to see the end because I honestly thought this was an ongoing series and <laughs> was surprised to find out it was just a mini-series. Yeah, I have to admit, Drew, I was also under the impression that it was a, it was a second ongoing. It, it wrapped up way too cleanly. Like, I didn't even need to go and look it up after. So when it got, gave us the end, I was like, oh, all right, well, that's done. <laughs> Pretty good. I, I think my frustration, in, in a sense, Drew, is that I think it would have been better as an ongoing. I get what it's trying to do. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a light, I wouldn't necessarily say retcon, but, but retelling, slight retcon of the founding of the Titans, right, and kind of reestablishing their early, earliest years as a team for the current era of timeline that we're in. But a lot of, I felt like a lot of what they were doing was, set, was really trying to set itself up for more stories and future stories. Uh, and obviously it's not capitalizing on that. Now, I think there's a pretty good chance that it gets a second run. Um, that wouldn't shock me at all, but that's my only really only real complaint, Drew, is that the story as a self-contained story is not bad by any means. It's, it's pretty good, but it, I felt like it was being written and lend itself more as a plot towards an extended story and not just a short six-issue story. Yeah, I have to agree with you because... It felt like, you know, as we read the miniseries, I honestly thought they were setting it up for the long haul and was disappointed to learn that it said the end. Because I, I really like this team, and uh, I like the I liked the tone of this comic and would would have liked to have read more of it. Agreed. I also don't feel like it was focused enough as a, as a six-issue self-contained story. I don't know how it didn't feel like it was focused on a singular story as much as that's what I'm saying. Like it, and I know we're saying the same things here, but it was divided in its attention, which works for ongoings is kind of what you expect because you're setting up multiple threads to start to explore, except a lot of those don't fully get explored. I wouldn't say he leaves anything just completely dangling at the end. I wouldn't go that far, but it really doesn't read like your traditional six-issue miniseries either. I mean, it's, it's pretty wide open for most of it, and then just kind of abruptly, very cleanly, to his credit, very cleanly wraps up, but very abruptly wraps up. I'm wondering if we're going to see more of the Teen Titans in the Batman, Superman, World's Finest book. That's possible. That And that may be why he wanted to have this miniseries, so he could have us explore the characters a little more if he's going to bring them into the other book. Yeah, I have to imagine it's not the end of this story. Like I said, I would I would expect to see um, a second miniseries potentially out of this, or at minimum seeing some of this stuff pop up in the Batman-Superman book he's writing. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Batman and Robin number four. Before, Damien is upset with his mentor, Mistress Harsh, because she is criticizing him for being too slow and tells him that she can tell he will be a failure. Damien states that she cannot speak to him that way because she is a servant in his house. Mistress Harsh smacks him. Talia catches Mistress Harsh smacking Damien and she is kicked out. Now, Robin has been captured by Man Bat and is hanging upside down bound in chain. Man-Bat tells Robin that he turned the bats against Batman so that he could finally take the role as the city's savior. Batman and White Rabbit come crashing through the skylight. Man-Bat releases his bats to attack Batman, while the White Rabbit helps Robin get free. Shush is about to kill the White Rabbit when the Man-Bat grabs Shush and flees. Dr. Kafura examines Batman and learns the poison has left his system and the bats should no longer bother him. The doctor also explains that Man-Bat injected him with a true serum. He can no longer remember what they were working on. Dr. Kafura also states that Man-Bat did something to the terrible trio. It corrupted their DNA and fills them with rage. Batman tells White Rabbit she's going back to Blackgate. 
White Rabbit states that they will have to catch her first. Damon turns to his father and asks, Bragging rights to, it, to whomever brings her in? Batman replies, Game on, son. The next morning, Bruce Wayne takes his son Damien to Gotham City High School. Damien reveals that his principal is a, former, is a former instructor of his that he believes is also shush. Now he has a good reason to go to this school after all. It's just, Drew, it's just such lazy storytelling. I just, I, I have a hard time with it, man. It's just, I... I don't want to rant about Williamson specifically, but like it's just it's tough to read stuff like this and then realize that this is the guy that DC wants kind of setting the vision for their line as a whole. I had a question for you because when I saw that first opening and we met Mistress Harsh, I was like, oh, that's shush. I, I guessed it right away. And then they basically revealed it at the end of the, the comic. I was wondering if you thought the same exact thing when you read that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think most people will. And I think they I think they realized that, which is why they don't bother trying. I will appreciate At least they don't insult our intelligence too much, Drew, and try to be like, ooh, I wonder who Shush should be. Because the problem with that is that that's the character you want to be Shush. You have to give it away, right? Because this is a new character that's going to mean nothing to anybody unless you introduce who they are first. And the very act of introducing this brand-new female character who would have a grudge against Damien instantly reveals it, right? Which would potentially be an argument for why, perhaps, Drew, you wouldn't introduce a character with a mysterious identity and then have to tell a story behind it, right? <laughs> That's just me. It probably would have been easier if, if you wanted Shush Shush's identity to actually be an ish, a, a mystery to solve, it has to be someone we know. It has to be something, some sort of established character, so that by putting that character in the story, you aren't immediately revealing the, the twist. Clearly, that's not what we got in here. But who am I to critique the great Williamson's writing? The thing, thing I would have probably done was he introduced this character early on and then down the line, I mean, I mean, I mean, story arcs from now, introduce Shush, and then go into having it as more of a mystery. That's just me. <laughs> now, question for you, Cletus, because I already know your answer. How about we drop Batman and Robin? Oh, my hero. <laughs> Not only that, you know how I thought Green Arrow wrapped up? No. Yeah. Nope. Green Arrow number seven's coming out. And uh, I, I'm opting to drop that, too, if you have no problem with that. Oh, please. <laughs> Spare me. Spare us all. Yes. So we need to trim the fat a little bit. It's been kind of heavy lately <laughs> for reading comics. So yeah. I'm like, if we're going to cut stuff, let's cut this Williamson stuff. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our next title for this week, Green Lantern number six. Full of rage, Sinestro tries to kill Hal Jordan. Hal retaliates, but Sinestro laughs, stating that Hal's willpower constructs feel like nothing. Fighter planes are sent in to attack Sinestro, but all they do is fuel his rage. Sinestro chases after the fighter jets and destroys them. Hal is able to save the pilots by creating an octopus construct. Sinestro creates a giant monster to cut the Earth in half. Hal creates a giant suit of armor and a sword. Hal attacks Sinestro's monster and cuts his head off. Hal tries to get Sinestro to stop because something is wrong with the emotional spectrum, but Sinestro tells him that he will never stop. Sinestro decides to head back to Corriger, and Hal chases after him, but is unable to reach him before he leaves the atmosphere. Hal returns to his trailer where Kilowog explains that Carol has been calling his message machine every five minutes. A friend of Hal's from outer space appears at his trailer, stating he's come a long way through the United Planets blockade to find his friend talking to a construct of Kilowog. Hal explains that Kilowog is dead, and it's all his fault. We also had a backup story, Wayward Sun Part 3, Sector 2541, Planet Zila. There is an exchange of fresh organs for creds. After the exchange, Korg attacks the man with the creds and takes them. Next, Korg attacks the man who took the organs, 
Korg drops the organs off at a hospital where they are needed. Korg takes his credits to a junkyard where he purchases the last of the parts he needs. Korg has built a ship to escape the planet and to find his father Sinestro. Korg successfully launches the ship, but it gets shot down by Nagoth. To be continued. Drew, the fight between Sinestro and Hal Jordan was, was like exactly what I want in a Green Lantern book. You got constructs, just, ah, Drew, visually entertaining fight, which is what you want in Green Lantern. That's the thing I think sometimes some of the books that, that negate the ring miss is that part of the fun of Green Lantern is all of the fun artistically you can have with the rings that are powered by their imagination like it's that the fight was phenomenal drew especially him getting up in a robot get up fighting the sort of monster that sinestro is forming obviously personal bias i prefer when sinestro is using a yellow ring but for the plot, plot purposes i got it and didn't really have a problem with that sinestro getting away is interesting because i hopefully it sets up a return for him, and I'm curious what he's going to look like the next time he pops up, Drew. Is he going to, now that he's off of Earth, is he going to be able to, you know, go back into his yellow ring ways? Is he still, is he under the influence? He's pretty raged out, right? He is not in his right mind for the back half of the fight with Hal. So is he still going to be under the influence of the red ring the next time we see him? I'm, I'm very curious to find out. But yeah. I like that he got away. I like that he got away. Because it sets, uh, it, to me, it makes it more interesting to see what ha what's going to happen when he comes back. Because we know he will. What's that going to look like? Yeah, I'm interested in that too. And I'm very, I got a lot of the same questions you have. Number one, what's his costume going to look like? I noticed in this issue, he wasn't really wearing a costume. So he didn't he didn't transform into a Red Lantern costume or anything like that, which leads me to believe that. I have a feeling that maybe the rage is going to go away and he might go, might be using, he might go back to the yellow or they might do something new with him. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. He, at um, least he didn't go back to the classic costume. That's all I can say, Drew. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And the other thing I thought was interesting was, did you recognize Hal's friend who came? I didn't recognize him. No. So I'm guessing that's a new character. And it was interesting that he's been... It wasn't actually Kilowog. It was a construct of Kilowog he's been talking to. And Kilowog's dead. He's he's blaming himself. So I'm sure he didn't outright kill Kilowog. So I'm sure he's blaming himself for whatever happened to Kilowog. And I'm very interested to find out what that is. So I, I'm sure that story is going to be coming soon. And I'm interested in finding out what happened. Yeah, that was a twist for me, Drew. I don't know if you were... I, I definitely wasn't expecting Kilowog to be dead. I felt like maybe I should have done that, but I did not. And so when that happened, I was like, oh. <laughs> that could be another reason why Hal quit the Corps, not only because it was under the um, United Planets, but because he blames himself for Kilowog's death. So that could be another reason he had quit the Corps and came back to Earth. We also had the backup story, which was, eh. <laughs> I just am having a really hard time, Drew, with the... It's the artwork and the story just don't quite mix for me, especially with the tone, the art and tone of the main book. You go from... I don't, want, I don't say mature as in, like, only adults can read it, right? But it definitely leans more towards an older audience story. Again, not to say that teens and kids can't enjoy the Green Lantern book by any means. Right, but then the go to the backup and the artwork skews very heavily towards young adult, I would argue. Right, and you've got a young adult protagonist in that, which I don't want to. That's fine, Drew. I don't have a problem inherently with that, but it just feels at odds with what the rest of the book is doing, and frankly, it feels at odds with what the plot is is going on with that. Like, what is the, what's the end goal here with this character? Are we said like? I have a hard time believing we're going to set up a cute anti-hero, I don't know, hero, young adult hero who happens to be Sinestro's son. Is that really, I don't know, you know what I mean? I have a hard time picturing what the end game of this is. I thought the whole purpose of this backup story was to introduce this character that Sinestro is going to be finding out about in the main book. 
Yeah, but then that's not going to mess plot-wise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't... I don't didn't say I understood it. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. <laughs> it just It's just odd. Totally, it's odd. It feels like it belongs with a Super Sons book, and that character belongs in a, in a Super Sons-style comic, which, again, I have no inherent problem with that. We both really enjoyed Super Sons when it was running. It's just, like you said, it feels like it's working towards setting him up to be a character... In the, in the actual Green Lantern story, and that just doesn't totally feel right at the moment. Yeah, I agree with you, so just have to see what happens. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Action Comics 1060, Earth Al Ghul. Otha Ra has been taken by Janine Al Ghul, also known as Sister Shadow, who is the daughter of Bruce Wayne and Talia Al Ghul from a reality in the dark multiverse where the Empire of Shadows has taken over the world. Sister Shadow brags that she has brought absolute peace and order to hundreds of Earths. When Superman, Batman, and the Authority were there, they destroyed the gateway between worlds, cutting them off from every civilization they had built. Despite their setbacks, Sister Shadow has found a new way to cross between worlds, and now Earth Zero's time has finally come. Sister Shadow reveals that every Earth they conquer begins with the culling of Kryptonians. That is Blue Earth's purpose. Soon, Earth Zero will no longer trust Superman. Sister Shadow further explains that she took Otha Ra because she is meant to become a conqueror, untamed and unspoiled, her arms wrapped in the bloody chain of the Warzoon, Valkyrie General of the World World Engines, and soul bearer to Olgren himself. Earth Zero, Metropolis. The local news is reporting violence in A-Town, as several Metropolis students and vocal Nora Stone supporters have been given superpowers by the Blue Earth Organization. Superboy, Kenan Kong, and Nat Steel are dealing with the situation. Steelworks. Kara and Lois try to calm down Osul Ra, who has never been without his sister before. Kara reminds Osul Ra about the story of Red Sun and Star Child from his house fable. Superman finds John Constantine passed out in a bar. Superman wakes up John and asks for his help. Superman flies John to the Cathedral of St. Lazarus. It sat empty for years until Blue Earth decides to make it at their headquarters. Superman brings John to a door that has been magically locked. John unlocks the door and the two step inside. John tells Superman not to touch anything. Inside, John discovers that Nora Stone has been using Hell as a way station between worlds. John tells Superman that it's too dangerous to use. He needs to find another way. Suddenly, Superman hears Otho Ra calling for him from an hourglass. John tells Superman whoever's voice he's hearing, it's not his daughter's. Ignore it. Superman doesn't listen. Desperate to find Otho Ra, Superman touches the hourglass and is transported where he comes face-to-face with Bloodwind and the Demon Etrigan. To be concluded in Action Comics 2023 Annual, be back here next month for the start of Superman Superstars in Action Comics. We also had two backup stories. The first one was called Squad Dreams. After helping Nia Null evacuate A-Town in Titan's Beast World Tour Metropolis No. 1, which we reviewed last week, John Kent crashes on her couch. The next morning, Nia Null wakes him up with some breakfast. Amanda Waller knocks on Nia's door. Waller wants Nia to go after a disgruntled employee who went AWOL after a recent mission. His abilities allow him to see five seconds in the future. He's massacred the death patrol sent to neutralize him. Waller threatens to reveal Nia's secret town unless she helps. Nia agrees to help. If Afterthought gets into Belle Reeve, It'll be a bloodbath, all because Waller tried to kill him. Dreamer goes to Afterthought's hideout and fights him. Taking out the supports, Nia drops the house on Afterthought, capturing him. Waller tells Dr. Hate that Dreamer was the real target. Now that Waller knows Dreamer can be controlled because she swallowed her morals to protect those closest to her. Dreamer will return next year, but who is in the Dream Team? Then the last backup we had was called Past is Prologue. New Candor, six months ago. The United Planets has doubts about General Zod's membership into their organization. They tell Zod there will be peace with or without him. Ursa is working to genetically enhance the indigenous population 
to become soldiers for them. Zod realizes that Ursa is pregnant. Lore, curious about a restricted area of the planet, fights his way through robots to discover a structure being built. Continued in Deal Before Zod, number one. Drew, the, there were so many backups in this, I really felt like they could have taken a few more pages to spend some time on the main story, because as a feels to me, Drew, like there's a lot to wrap up in the annual before they move on. Totally agree. I think we were talking about this last time we talked about action comics, where you were afraid that the story was just going to get cut off. <laughs> That's basically, when I read this issue, I'm like, um, Cletus was right, because they're just going <laughs> to wrap it up in the annual, and we're moving on to something new. Plus, the backups we had in this are basically intros into other stories. I really have no interest in the Neil Before Zod storyline. Didn't interest me at all. The thing that could potentially intrigue me, Drew, is that obviously Zod having a full family is not brand new, right, but newer. And so you potentially something interesting that you could do with that that wouldn't be a Zod story that we've seen before. But for the most part, I just am struggling to see how that's not going to be ultimately the same Zod story that we've read before many times. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on that. I don't have much more to say about this issue. Just that kind of disappointed that the main story is getting wrapped up in that annual. I have to be pessimistic about it. I don't know how good of a wrap up it's going to be. Yeah, I it doesn't it felt to me like th- this creative team was planning on more. Let's just put it that way. I, I think at some point in the creative process, they were expecting to have more issues to tell their story than what they've gotten, because I just, I cannot see how you wrap a lot of this up. It does feel like they were pretty much told, okay, you guys are dead, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Detective Comics 1079. Batman has been hanged. Catwoman's rescue mission has failed. Arzen tells Catwoman it is her move. Daria Orgam proclaims it is over. The Batman is dead. As Bats is still fighting the werewolf, who transforms back into the human Gale, Gale tells Asbats that he has failed. Asbats replies that for a wolf, he has mercy, but for cowards, he has fire. Asbats lights his sword on fire and throws it at a nearby semi full of propane tanks. It explodes. Daria Orgam sees the explosion in the distance and asks Catwoman, Are you such fools that you cannot tell when the war is over? Call off this circus and perhaps you could be spared a painful death, Selina Kyle. Catwoman snickers, You call me Selina Kyle, but my name is Eco. I don't think you know Selina Kyle. Eco throws some grenades and escapes from the balcony. Elsewhere, Solomon Grundy punches his way through the tunnels until they arrive where Batman's dead body is. They grab his corpse and make their way to an old abandoned rail station. Jim Gordon is waiting there with a GCPD supply van. Jim and Selina take Batman's corpse to the docks where Talia al Ghul is waiting on a ship. To be continued. We also had a backup story in this called Voyage into the Light. A boat is sailing toward Gotham, and the crew is upset that true crewmen have vanished. Doria Orgam appears and states that she killed them. They were assassins sent by Talia al Ghul to kill her. Another crew member draws his knife and charges toward Daria, stating he will drain her blood for Talia's glory. Before she reaches Daria, he begins foaming at the mouth and falls to the ground dead. Daria explains that it was much safer and easier to poison all of them as they slept a toxin that is not activated until adrenaline does it. The rest of the crew dies from fear. Daria Orgam tells her armed men that they are near America and she would like a glimpse of it from the deck. The Orgams have hid in the dark for too long. Now they return. I gotta tell you, Cletus, I was very disappointed in the main story because ultimately all we're doing is Batman died and we're going to resurrect him in a Lazarus pit. I, and I, I was disappointed because I was looking for something that was a little more smart, a little more tricky, and we didn't get it. Did he die? 
I don't think he died, Drew. They gave him the appearance of death with the poison from Poison Ivy, but I don't think he's actually dead. You don't think Batman's dead? They hanged him. Yeah, but they there's a lot. Selina talks about it, so she gives him essentially a strong poison that effectively makes him appear dead, and then they hand wave. Now I don't I don't like how they explain it, Drew, because I I rolled my eyes, but they were like, well, all the muscles in his neck saved his neck from snapping, so that so when he gets hung, his neck doesn't snap because he's Batman. Is essentially the explanation, and then. He's already under heavy sedation from the poison, and so his heart rate is slow, whatever. I don't know. It's it's a sort of BS explanation, Drew, but at least my reading of it was that he's not dead. They just made it look like he was dead, believably, so that they could get his body out of there. I missed that somehow. Was that after... Were they talking about that after they put him in the van or whatever? Yeah. Okay, yes. I missed it somehow. It's when it's when Catwoman reveals that it was essentially like a double, not a double cross isn't the right one, but like a, she had two separate plans. One that was like, this is the plan that you know, and then this is the actual plan that we used to get rid of him or get him out of there. I don't want to say that it was better, Drew, because the explanation of, well, his neck was safe from hanging because he's got so many muscles. I was like, that's not how that works, but okay. Well, they didn't convey it very well because I didn't—I didn't even catch it. So, I—I I don't know. I just—I didn't care for it that much. It'd have been better if they had just rescued him. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think it would have been a little less convoluted, and frankly, it would have taken less of an explanation if they had just killed him and then done something after. Like you said, you could still do the Lazarus pit at that point, and I honestly would be fine with it. Um, because it's a cleaner explanation than whatever the gobbledygook that they went they did with this. That being said, Drew, I am still intrigued in the story and curious to see where Rom V goes with it, but I just feel like the whole thing, the whole heist was felt... I, I don't understand why it took so long for the organs to hang Bruce in the first place. Like, just do it right away. It had to make it dramatic. It had to make it public. <laughs> right, but it's, that was sort of... My problem is, Drew, is it felt like the plot existed purely to give enough time to save Batman. And it's like, okay, but if you're going to do that, then, like, again, change the threat. What's the, like, make the threat something different. So, like, Batman will die under the influence of the asthma if they don't get there within X number of days, right? Because then that gives you an extended timeline to work with as a writer, but it's also not some, like, unbelievable BS that he, he remains alive. Yeah, that's that's very true. But anyways, we got what we got look to look for next is the return of Batman and how he's gonna take back the city from the Orgams. Alright, well let's move on to our next title for this week. Titans Beast World number two. Raven finds Cyborg floating in space, wakes him up and asks him what happened. Cyborg states there is nothing in his core or backup memory for the last half hour. Cyborg asks where Gar is. Gar seems to be stuck in some sort of portal. On Earth, Animal Man senses a shift in, as he feels a million new creatures burst into the red. Bloodhaven. Batman and Nightwing rescue a mother and father from rampaging beasts. The father states his son is still in the car. Batman goes back to get the son when he is attacked by a grizzly bear-human hybrid. The beast bites Batman's shoulder as he is rescuing the boy. Batman gives the boy his grapple gun and tells him to hold on tight and Nightwing will catch him. Nightwing catches the boy and lands him safely on a building rooftop with his parents. Nightwing returns to the ground to find Batman being attacked by several beasts. Batman and Nightwing fight off the beast and retreat to a different rooftop. The Necrostar was stopped, but now the planet is full of beasts. Nightwing states they need to capture a beast if they want to learn how to undo all this. Conveniently, a cobra-human hybrid charges them out of the shadows. Batman grabs it by its jaws as Nightwing grabs the knockout gas from Batman's utility belt. While Nightwing is grabbing the knockout gas, a spore jumps from the beast's mouth into Batman's mouth. Batman is changed into a hybrid. Batman's last words are, Dick, please, don't let me hurt anyone. Oracle learns that Kondok is in danger because a Black Adam beast is causing havoc. 
Starfire and Donna Troy rush to Kondok to stop him. Nightwing warns Oracle that the spores instinctively move to stronger hosts. She needs to warn every superpowered hero before the problem becomes worse. Washington, D.C. Waller goes to the president and asks him to activate the Bureau of Sovereignty. The Justice League has stepped aside. Waller can save the world, she just needs the authority to do it. Does the president really want to leave the fate of the world in the hands of 20-somethings? Do you really want all life on Earth dependent on the Titans and Nightwing? Nightwing calls Oracle, stating he needs doctors, scientists, and a cage. He has captured the Batman beast. Me personally, Cletus, I really like the scene with Batman and Nightwing working together to save the parents and then go back and save the kid. I really like those scenes. And then the fact that they, they talk together, decide we need to capture one of these beasts so we can find out how to save people. Then that cobra thing coming out, Batman grabbing its jaws. And then, of course, the spore goes in the Batman and it becomes the beast. And Nightwing doesn't want to leave Batman to go on some rampage. He wants to subdue him and make sure he doesn't harm anybody. I, I really like that part of the story. I agree, Drew. I, the one thing I have to mention that I am... I have missed Ivan Reese being uh, uh, the artist on a book, a main book for a while. And he, his run on Green Lantern with Jeff Johns was so good. And then he was, I, I'm pretty sure, was doing Justice League at the beginning of the New 52 as well. And I just, I personally really like his artwork. I think it's great for superhero comics. And it's been a real treat to get this. It feels like an event, right? Like I'm reading it and the story is good, but the artwork to me, like for me, this is just subjective for me, but like it feels more special because I feel like I'm getting the like all-star artist too. I know the artwork has looked really good on it. And I think part of the reason why I really enjoyed this issue, especially with it focused on Batman and Nightwing, is it didn't feel like it was all over the place like some events do. Agreed. It stayed focused on a few characters, and I know the art. You know the artwork was spectacular. The story was spectacular. It is made for a better comic. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, Drew. I think that's, I think you said it perfectly. I'm really enjoying this event so far. A lot better than events we've had recently. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's move on to our last title for this week: Titans Beast War. World Tour Gotham number one. Nightwing has the Batman beast subdued, but he wakes up and slashes at Nightwing's chest with his claws. The Batman beast escapes. Nightwing calls Oracle for backup. Killer Croc is battling beasts in Gotham when a spore jumps into his mouth. Nightwing comes across Beast Croc while searching for Batman. Nightwing battles Beast Croc and is losing. Batman Beast joins Nightwing in the fight against Beast Croc and wins. Nightwing is able to turn the tables on Batman Beast and zaps him with electricity. Nightwing takes Batman Beast to the Gotham Zoo and puts him in a cage. End. We also had several other stories in this. Wild Harleys I Have Known, where Harley Quinn is a giant rabbit. We had Scavengers, where Red Hood is a dog hybrid. We had Claw and Order. We had the Huntress, Helena Bertinelli. She turns into a panther, and we see Batgirl... Cassandra Kane in the story also. And then we had a story called Wild Thing, where Batgirl Stephanie Brown fights Killer Moth, who has turned into a giant moth beast. And I I texted Cletus, and I told him, don't bother reading this. Because after <laughs> I read that first Nightwing story, I was, I was like, that Nightwing story, I, I just felt like I wasted my time reading it. Batman gets away and he recapture him. It it wasn't that great. The artwork, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had just read the other Titan story and then I came to this. I'm like, really? <laughs> and then I, I I couldn't even I couldn't even read the next. I couldn't even read the Harley Quinn story. I skimmed through it. I skimmed through the next. I skimmed through the rest of the the issue and I'm like, this is a waste of our time. I don't even want to review this. So I texted Cletus, I told him, don't waste your time. And I decided, even without consulting Cletus, we're just going to drop these side stories and just focus on the main book because I don't want to read a bunch of more of 
crappy stories like this. What it reminds me of, Drew, is with the death metal event where we got just inundated with all of these Batman, like this character, but they're Batman and they're evil. And this character, but they're Batman and they're evil. And it just got old very quickly. And then it, that, this is what this feels like. Like, wow, what if Harley Quinn was a rabbit? And what if Batman was like a wolf bat thingy? And it's like, okay, I, 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 I don't care enough to, to read all of these. You don't have enough interesting to say. Did you uh, skim through it at all? Uh, a little, but I, you know, I didn't really. As soon as you told me, yeah, don't worry about reading it, I was like, stay less. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you'd be happy to have to read that. <laughs> so, this, reading that first story and then looking through the rest of them, like, uh, okay, I'm done with these side books. Let's just focus on the, focus on the main title. It's good. The artwork's great. And let's not waste our time with all these extra stories. All right, well, that wraps up our comic books talk for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk Sweet Tooth. Attention, people of Earth! Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast! It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. Join us! Bring coffee! We're on the ESO Network. And we're at Flopcast.net. Check out the Modern Musicology Podcast, where each week we talk about things like... What makes a great drummer? Our favorite rock documentaries. Songs we love by artists we don't love. Our favorite concert memories. Songs that should have been singles. And all of our favorite music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. Do not use modern musicology if you're allergic to it. Modern musicology may produce itching, dizziness, vertigo, temporary blindness, or heart palpitations. Do not taunt modern musicology. Ask your doctor about switching to modern musicology. And we're back. Let's talk Sweet Tooth, Season 2, Episode 3, Chicken or Egg. As Dr. Singh packs his bags for his trip to Fort Smith, Rainy shares her doubts about using the hybrids to keep her alive. She is worried about karma. Amy and Big Man head to a free city for help, which means it's off-livits for Abbott. Big Man learns that his help has passed away. At the local cantina, Amy uses a payphone to reach out to some old friends she has had over the radio. At the Fort Smith lab, Dr. Singh searches around without Hulk and Gus. When Singh is taking too long, Hulk goes searching for him. Gus finds Pubba's old toolbox and takes a pocket knife and some other items. Gus finds Dr. Singh trying to get a candy bar out of an old vending machine. Hulk tells them it's time to go. Out of nowhere, an alligator attacks Hulk. Gus figures out it's a hybrid kid. The alligator reveals that his name is Peter. The last men trank him and tie him up. Back at the zoo, Rainy tells Abbott's men she needs to observe the hybrids to help her husband with his research. Rainy hands Wendy vegetables without the guards seeing. Abbott and his men show up at the Free City factory town. Amy and Big Man are less than thrilled to see him. Abbott addresses the crowd and shows them he has a cure. He tells them to spread the word. Abbott makes sure they take the man with them when they leave. At Fort Smith, Dr. Singh finds a videotape of Gillian Washington. Gillian tells the tale of Dr. James Thacker, a scientist from the UK who suffered from a muscular degenerative disorder. In an attempt to cure himself, he set sail for the Arctic in 1911 to explore a village where people were rumored to be free of disease and live past 100. This led Gillian to Fort Smith to build a team that could investigate why these villagers live such a long and healthy life. Dr. Gertrude Miller comes on the video, and Gus tells Dr. Singh that that's his mom. Dr. Miller explains that they discovered microbes that, with the right modifications, could supercharge the immune system. Dr. Miller introduces the first baby hybrid, Gus, which means Genetic Unit Series 1. On the way back to the zoo, Abbott has his men pull over. They shoot the man they gave the cure to and then dump his body into a quarry. The hybrids learn the truth about Roy from one of the guards. 
When Gus returns to the zoo, the other hybrids are pissed. Dr. Singh brought back all of Dr. Miller's chickens, which he hopes that he can use their eggs to incubate antigens. Back at the cantina, Amy receives the phone call she has been waiting for. This is a really intriguing episode, Drew. Really starting to dig into how all of this started in the first place. And it, they've got me hooked. I mean, I obviously already really enjoy the, the series to begin with, Drew. But, like, I am super curious to figure out what exactly is going on with the creation of Gus and how everything happened. Yeah, I'm very curious about that also. You know, you know, was the creation of Gus also the creation of the virus by accident or something? I, I'm very curious about that. And the potential of finding a cure for it. So, I'm very curious about what's going to happen myself. All very interesting. There were some, some really good developments this, this episode, Drew. We could see Bear making her way towards, presumably back towards the zoo, via the last man. We see the leader of the last man, his sort of plot to gain importance, to make people believe that he has a cure. Obviously unaware that it is a temporary cure, currently is what he has. Um, and we see that when he executes the guy that he supposedly saved. Really cool. Drew, I have to wonder, so we know that we're getting a third season out of this, and I'm curious, I, I would imagine that he's going to survive this season, right, and be an antagonist throughout the entire show, but I'm actually kind of curious to see how that comes to a head this season. I am too. It's, um, it's interesting. I have no idea what's going to happen the rest of the season. Obviously, because they're going to try to break the kids out, but you got the Abbott you know, becoming becoming more powerful. I see, unless somebody finds that body in the quarry, that could throw a loop in his plan if somebody happens to come across that. Which, I, when they threw his body in there, I'm like thinking, I wonder if somebody comes across that body. I, and who knows, yeah, maybe it might not possible. happen until next season. I don't know season. that that's going to be the thing, though. That's true, it may be something else. Then, then you have guests coming back to the zoo and, you know, the other hybrids are pissed. They lied about Roy. So that's going to create mistrust with Gus. So he's going to have that problem to overcome. Plus, people are coming to rescue him. So, like we saw Bear, she's going to be joining the last men. That should be interesting. And then you've got Amy and Big Man also trying to find people so they can rescue Gus. So it's it's interesting we're gonna i have a feeling we're gonna see all these plot threads come to a head as we near the end of the season yeah and the thing is to remember too is that this is a short season relative in terms of episode count so things are gonna escalate quicker than than we might see with some of the other shows that we've watched i i, I just I, i'm so glad to have this show back through and i'm glad that it's getting a, a third season to wrap everything up hopefully as cleanly as it can, because I just very much enjoyed the, the show. I have, too. All right, well, that wraps up our show for this week. Do you have a shout-out, Cletus? Yeah, I wanted to give one more shout-out for the many D-list characters that we saw in uh, Danger Street. This time, I wanted to do The Creeper, and he first pops up in Showcase, number 73, which came out in 1968 and was created and written and drawn by Steve Ditko. And so that is, it's an it's an origin issue, so you get the original origin of that character in that story, and obviously the character kind of evolves from there, but again, that was showcase number 73 for the Creeper. Always oh, a character that I've been, like, mildly aware of, Drew, but I will admit, I mean, by nature of his, you know, where he is in the hierarchy of DC characters, not read a ton of his stuff. I think I've read a few things of his. I've never been a fan of a creep of the Creeper, and when I've read the Creeper, he's always been in something somebody else's book that I've been reading. So I always felt like he was a knockoff of Joker that's a hero, not a villain. <laughs> but that's interesting that he was created by Steve Ditko. I didn't realize that. All right, and for my shout out. I don't really have a shout-out 
this week, but uh, I'm just going to thank everybody for listening to the show that's been listening, and uh, thanks for supporting us. So we've we've been doing this for almost eight years now. <laughs> so crazy to think about. I know it's been going on for quite a while, and I'm still really enjoying it. Love reading comics, love talking about them. So uh, just wanted to give everybody a big shout out, thank a big thanks for uh, continuing to listen to us. All right, if you'd like to comment on anything we've talked about this week, you can reach us at our feedback line, 317-455-8411. Leave us a message, text us, or you can email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Cletus, coming up next week, we've got Batman Offworld, Hawkgirl, Jay Garrick the Flash, Green Lantern, War Journal, Batman Superman World's Finest, Catwoman, Nightwing, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Sweet Tooth. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.